Did you know that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day? But don't take my word for it. Take, well, actually, you should take my word for it. And here's what you need to do. You need to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach. That's www.ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach to learn more there about recruiting the best people for your business the fastest, best people fast. You know that fast, good, cheap pyramid? Well, this is doing it all. This is fast, good, and yeah, you got to check out the pricing online. That's kind of above my pay grade, but Zip Recruiter, check it out. Too, too, too many ads. Here we go. The Zach Kuhn Show. You know, some people really inspire you every now and then to read something, and I think Adam Sansevieri does that. To me, I, I think I literally might have picked up a book the second I stopped talking with him. Now, okay, maybe not literally, but like that evening, I was definitely reading something because I want to get to his level. You know what I mean? He's kind of on a level. It's kind of a thing. He's kind of that guy who knows a little bit about everything. And you, you want to you want to get to that level when you talk to Adam Sansevieri. It's inspiring. He is the head of sports and entertainment for Alliance Bernstein here in Nashville. And, you know, the, the company just relocated to Nashville a couple years ago. And I mean, less than that, like very recently. And, you know, we talk all about, we talk about the move to Nashville. We talk about what it's been like. We talk about his past as a Broadway producer. And, you know, he was also touring before that as a opera singer, like a professional opera singer. He, he played Carnegie Hall. You know that saying about, you know, you've made it when you made it to Carnegie Hall. Well, he did it. He made it. And then he made it as a Broadway producer. And now he's working at Alliance Bernstein. I'm telling you, it's not fair. This guy's going to make you pick up a book or your money back. Guaranteed. Here we go. Let's dive in. Let me ask you this. Is this a functioning bookshelf behind you or is this just show? Because this is nope. so color coordinated. What is happening here? That is real and it's called OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I know where every book is on my shelf by color. This my, is closet, a, my, my closet looks the same. The closet looks the same as the bookshelf. This is unbelievable. Okay, I, I want to <laughs> talk about some books in a minute. But you would email me because I had mentioned Ken Davenport in my yep. email and you had said that your first show that you produced was with... Ken Davenport, what was what was that show? Uh, Speed the Plow. How did you get into producing? Because you were really young. You were like 24. How mm -hmm. did you get in on that first show? Yeah, so I guess long story short, I moved to New York City for med school. I always thought I'd want to be a doctor, but I have a passion for the arts. Sang since I was a kid. Studied classical voice. Never saw it as a career but had an opportunity to go perform. And I was in, you know, the chorus, like supernuminary work at the Metropolitan Opera and sang with a group um, that then got to go sing at the Verbier Festival in Switzerland. And it just opened my eyes to the world, came back to New York and uh, did some off-Broadway shows and touring shows and things like that before starting my first business when I was 22, 23. It was a digital design company, software company, building R websites. design. Yes, thank you. Build, building websites and content in the entertainment space before you could do this easily, right? My generation, I don't know about your generation, Zach, but now you just pull up Foursquare, you can create your own website. This was Very not easy. the case back yes. then. And so we built a good business and I realized I wanted to be in the business of the arts. And uh, I had met a gentleman named Darren Baggert, who was a successful Broadway producer. 
and uh, started working with him. And this script showed up on our desks one day. He didn't want to do the show. I was a huge Entourage fan. I reached out to the lead producer, Jeffrey Richards, and said, I want in, introduce myself. Turns out Ken Davenport and a number of other my good friends who we did our first show together were on that. And it was a wild ride to start your producing career with. Holy cow. And then Jeremy Piven, I guess, was slated with it originally when it came up on your desk. Was he already on it? He was. And as a big Entourage fan and a David Mamet fan and Elizabeth Moss, Moss fan from Mad Men and a Raul Esparza fan, this was a no-brainer to me. It was, And David Mamet, I think, is actually one of my favorite playwrights. Um, His material is amazing. Okay, so if you were to start RNA Designs today in this modern era, what would the equivalent of building websites be? Because you actually had a lot of success with this. And you, I've heard you say that you started this business to pay off your student loans, essentially, right? So- <laughs> well, well, no, I actually started that business because I had student loans and I needed to pay them while I was trying to be an artist. <laughs> right. So what would the equivalent, because you can't, like website design, like you said, it's very easy to website. Would you be building NFTs for people? What would the equivalent be today? Yeah, that, that's actually a good answer. I think it would either be on the side of building NFTs for the entertainment space or leveraging crypto as a way to invest in Broadway shows, or on the other side of the coin, you know, something like using artificial intelligence to track consumer demands to choose the Broadway shows you're doing. Do you think, because when I had Ken Davenport on the podcast, I was talking with him about this, about how why doesn't the Broadway embrace things that like the concert industry embraces? Like, mm-hmm. could there be a Broadway collaboration with a video game, you know, live in a video game? Could we embrace more NFTs? And he gave a good answer, which was that the audience is too old. The audience isn't playing video games. But I kind of felt like maybe that's how you could pull in a new audience. Is there mm-hmm. room for Broadway to be a little more innovative in some of these spaces? Or is it tough because the people who fund Broadway are typically not into what the kids are into? Yeah, look, I, I think it's a bit of both and it's not black or white. I, I do think, you know, Hamilton streaming their show um, during the pandemic opened up the eyes to a lot of people that new technology can be a game changer for a very old industry that typically does things in very old ways. That said, it is slow to move and everyone is aware of that, but it's producers like Ken Davenport and younger investors who are thinking outside the box that are moving the industry forward slow as it may be. Absolutely. Okay. So you were at Alliance Bernstein for 10 years. I mean, we're jumping around like crazy here. And then you get, they did. So they asked you to move to Nashville when they announced they were opening up the office. Is that what happened? How do you end up down in Nashville? How does that happen? Yeah, it was it was quite a serendipitous story. Uh, again, being being born here, I never thought I would come back to uh, to Nashville. Um, but it, look, it, it's such an amazing company. It's it's such an amazing culture, and they really look to their their talented individuals and say, where can we maximize this person? How can they have the biggest impact and be the most fulfilled? And I think that's why they came to me again because of you know my passion for entertainment. This is Music City. Um, my passion for sports, great sports teams down here. And also, you know, we chose Nashville as our global headquarters for a myriad of reasons, right? It's an incredible quality of life. Uh, no state income taxes, which of course benefits your employees. Um, an incredible culture scene here. And primarily the future of talent. Like where are you going to find the future talented individuals that will make up your company 20 years from now? And when we look at New York and LA and Chicago and these amazing cities that are changing right under our eyes, 
they're changing in a way that is different than way a city like Nashville is changing. And this is drawing a lot of folks. So long answer to your short question. Look, I came down here for a number of reasons to help build our new global headquarters. And I think they saw this is a great opportunity for not only folks like me, but all the employees that they asked to come down here. Have you seen any of the advantages yet of moving to Nashville, especially in the pandemic, or is it still too early to say? Or what has it been like being here right now during the past, I guess, year and a half or two years you guys have been here? Yeah, yeah, right? well, exactly. About two, two and a half years. And the answer is yes, because luckily I was here for about a year plus before the pandemic. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of advantages, some of which I listed. We've hired gosh, you know, probably 300 people during the pandemic that have never been in our office. We're hiring about 30 people, uh, 30 people a month at this point. And we're, I think, close to 900 and we'll be up to about 1,250, hopefully by the end of the year. So that talent has been very, very robust. And also people moving here has made it very easy to find that great talent. But as far as the city goes, you and I were chatting about it before. It is such a kind philanthropic, open door culture here. Very different than New York. Not that they're not philanthropic and open doors in the right area. I love New York. I'm a New Yorker almost 20 years, but it is different. You you can get a meeting with anybody. You can chat with anybody. And as long as you're bringing an authentic self who's looking to give back to the community, which AB is all about, those doors just fly open and people are reaching out to you as much as they as you are reaching out to them. Yeah. And there's like a little bit of an underdog mentality of like, we're all in this together. I think especially, especially when the tornado happened, sure. everybody was going out to help the people, like the people in East Nashville and the people in that community. I was like, do you know those people? They were like, no, they're our neighbors. I was like, okay, let's go. We'll, we'll help them. Whatever. Um, you said in an interview in the Tennessean that you like to hire people with untraditional backgrounds or diverse backgrounds. Sure. And to me, it feels like when you're talking with like wealth management or when you're talking with high finances, don't you want someone with a traditional background to manage your money? Why do you, how do you test for that? First of all, how do you figure out if someone has an untraditional background? What does that mean to you? And why is that advantageous? Yeah, th thanks. That's a great question. And, and look, I, I think it's more intuitive than people think it is. Let's, let's look at it from the lens of an analyst, right? For your listeners, an analyst's job is to study a company, their balance sheets, all that good stuff and come back and report to the portfolio managers who are making the investment decisions, whether these this is a good company. Now you could hire an analyst out of business school with no practical experience, or you could go hire an automotive executive who had 30 years of running an automotive company. Who do you want as your analyst, right? And then you surround him with all the quants and the MBAs and all that kind of stuff to give him the logistical support. I sort of view, and we've always viewed the advisor as a very similar, uh, in a very similar mentality. So when I think of working with artists, who better to work with musicians than someone who is a music manager for 15 years, a Grammy nominated music manager, for example, one of our guys on our like staff, Dan. or like Dan Weissman, or a professional football player like Winston Justice, who played in the league for nine years with different teams, um, or Stephanie Fletcher, who, was an entrepreneur herself and ran her own, own business for over a decade. If she, working with an entrepreneur as a client, she's gonna understand their trials and tribulations a lot more than someone who just has worked in a bank. And so it's a combination of both. Look, we have a very robust training program that's 13 plus weeks. 
we surround them with senior portfolio managers, analysts, wealth strategies, experts, lawyers, accountants, et cetera. So they're not on their own giving advice, but this ability allows them to connect with clients at a whole other level that the rest of the industry perhaps doesn't see. And that's why our business has been as successful as it has been. What's part of that training program? Did you go through that when you first started? Every Is it secret single, sauce? It's secret sauce, man. Every single person has to go through the training program. It doesn't matter if you're in the C-suite of private client or if you are you know, starting out as an advisor, everyone's going through that program and where it's ongoing even after you're launched through that initial program. But it is, it is really nice because it's taught by all the senior leadership, the senior managing directors, the most successful advisors. So you get great exposure and collaboration across the entire firm right from the start. How do you know, like if you're in the middle of your career, like you had an arts career and I think you were, you were off getting, you were off um, getting your master's degree, if I'm not mistaken, before you went, joined Alliance Bernstein. But how do you know, like I'm in the middle of a career, maybe I want to go into wealth management or maybe I want to work at Alliance Bernstein. Like, how do you, how do you know if that's your calling middle of your career? Well, I, I didn't. Um, so I was doing my, my MBA master's in economics and media management thinking that I wanted to take my career experience from this point and maybe go run a film studio or work at HBO or something like that. Uh, right. And it, and it wasn't until I graduated that I started to get recruited by hedge funds and private equity and all these other opportunities. And it opened my eyes to an industry that I'd never even considered. I mean, I, I was finishing my master's in 08. So I, I'm in economics class studying the financial crisis at this time and being like, wow, that's crazy. And having no idea the impact it's, it, it was having on an industry that now I've been in for in for almost 12 years. And so, you know, it when I started getting interviewed by these different firms and opening my eyes, first of all, I saw a very different level of how these industries behave in a, in a compensation standpoint, in an impact standpoint on people and how you can work with individual people and how you can bring your passions into areas. And that's what really drew me to Bernstein compared to all the other options that were on the table is, you know, one of my mentors, one of the greatest leaders at Bernstein, who's been here for multiple decades, his name's Len Hirsch. He co-runs the New York office. And he said to me, you're an entrepreneur, come here and be an entrepreneur who can take your passions for sports, entertainment, medicine, entrepreneurship, and all those other things and build a business around it so that you get to spend every single part of your day working with the most successful people that are at the top of those passions that you're interested in. Do you ever miss that true entrepreneur bug or the like, you know, the fully running a company or do you get that all satisfied at Alliance Bernstein? You know, I don't, especially right now in the heart of building a new office. It, it truly it feels like being an entrepreneur with unlimited resources. It's, it's the best of all worlds. How do you cultivate your, you always talk a lot about like intellectual curiosity. You like to hire people who are intellectually curious. How do you cultivate that for yourself? Cause you have so many mm. interests that you do really well. You've got a lot of books behind you that are color coded. <laughs> How do you approach that? Or, or do you have a system for it? Or, or do you just take in as much as you can? Yeah. I, I mean, look, I think, I think the answer is it's constantly changing. You know, I'll give you uh, two answers. One, you know, one of the greatest gifts I've received, my birthday was last month and uh, I received the gift of the, a masterclass subscription. How is that? Cause I see all those awesome. ads, <laughs> but so what did you use or what have you done? So wait, if you get a subscription, do you have access to all of them? 
Yeah. So, so a full subscription, you have access to unlimited content, right? So for an intellectually curious person, you know, I'm looking at language, cooking, wine, business, arts. I mean, it's everything. So, you know, rather than going home, you know, at the end of the day, turning on the TV and watching Netflix, I'm getting on my couch and watching masterclass. And the first thing I jumped to was Bob Iger, right? I mean, his, his class is amazing. And he's going through the acquisitions of Pixar and uh, Marvel and all that good and Fox and all that stuff. And it was just, just, you know, so great. So, so it's things like that, but you know, the way I sort of frame it is, you know, I'm big on new year's resolutions and goals. And, and, and as I said, it constantly changes, but every year I try to pick three new things and rather than 20 things, I try to pick three new things to really dig deep on rather than shallow on a couple. And they're always outside the box, right? So it's that in intellectual curiosity that just gets you to, I think, find a new thing every single year and just dig deep enough that you can actually feel like you know what you're talking about on a subject. What were this year's? Can you share? Is it shareable? <laughs> um, yeah, you'll laugh, I think. Um, the first one was uh, uh, Buddhism. Wanted to just learn okay. all about Buddhism. I've um, always wanted to kind of dive into that because I, I always feel like some of the smartest people I know are like study Buddhism. I'm like, I got to get to that level. Well, whether regardless of religion, there's a lot of very interesting takeaways um, that can be beneficial for people's life, especially in high stress jobs. Um, number two cool. was quantum mechanics. And I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd. So, you know, you see movies like, uh, um, uh, what's the one... Uh, with Matthew McConaughey, it's slipping my oh, mind Interstellar. right Interstellar. Interstellar. You see movies like that. I mean, you know, I love that kind of stuff. So I always just wanted to get, have a little bit more understanding. What did you think of, of The Tenant? Did you see The Tenant? Oh, Tenant was amazing. Yeah, a you little slower, a little slower, but but brilliant. Absolutely Ooh, a hot brilliant. take here from Adam Sansberry. A little slower <laughs> on The Tenant. Okay. Okay, and then what was the third one? Was there a third one? Yeah, there was a third one, which I've not yet started. And that was uh, to, to start getting my pilot's license. Pilots, like I had a friend who actually did this in quarantine. Um, he did all the training, and now he's doing his hours in the sky. Um, yeah, that's great. But that that is something that I've always wanted to kind of do. Also, I'm a little scared of doing it, to be honest. But, <laughs> so I heard you say that you spent a year training how to meditate when you were younger, and I I'm very obsessed with TM, and I did like a four day course to learn how to TM, and I feel very satisfied with my meditation. But I'm curious Good. what you get from a year? Like, should I go after a year's course of meditation? <laughs> what do you get from a year that I'm missing out on four days rushed course? Well, 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 Zach, I think if, if you can tell anything about me, I I'm sort of an extremist and I do things full out. Um, and so this, I can't, this was years ago, but in New York city, I hired a teacher and, you know, I said, if I'm going to do this, I want to, I want to learn it full, fully. So I hired this woman who spent half her time in India, half her time in New York city. And we worked to get together every single Monday for a year. And honestly, it's a bit like therapy. Um, it's, it's like having your own therapist, but not so much sitting on a couch and laying back. It's, it's far sort of deeper and spiritual than that. And it just, you know, you really just start to truly understand the emotional, spiritual, and mental benefits of meditation. So worth doing, worth spending a year on it. Did you feel like at the six month point that, or past six months, did you get so much more that you had to miss it? That, that, you, that you were glad you did the extra six months? Because I'm fascinated because I've been doing the same TM for 10 years. And I'm mm -hmm. curious if there's more to do, like, should I push my knowledge of meditation 
Is there's it always be worth more it? to do. There is always more to do. After a year, you should do two. After two, you should do four. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm going on a, I'm, this sounds a little commercial, but I'm very interested in going on one of those um, Deepak Chopra retreats. So I'm doing that in the fall, just as a way to see what another perspective is. Um, but, the, but like any subject, there's all, always more you can do. And I think this one is so crucial. And it's, look, it's become more mainstream lately. But at the end of the day, a lot of us train our bodies. We work out five, six, seven days a week. You know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of attention on that, but not enough people work out their mind. And this is exactly what that is. So it's like, you might as well be doing both if you want to be the complete healthy picture. I think it was like my saving grace this past year because I live alone. I was basically isolated for an entire year. And I had a lot of friends who were like, how are you doing this? Not going insane. And I, I didn't really say this, but I think it was because I was like meditating twice a day. Like, yeah. I think that was my saving grace. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, you can go other places, right? When you're meditating, you're no That's, longer in that apartment. Yes. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit. You hosted a webinar, I think last year on um, song rights and how song catalogs are so hot right now. This is mm -hmm. obviously in the news constantly. Chili Peppers sold their catalog. It was just announced for like $140 million. Yep. I'm curious if, if you, if you're coaching clients through this and what I'm kind of curious about is, do you ever see client regret when they sell their art, when they sell their catalog, they get a huge sum of money. Do they ever go, damn, I wish I still had that. Or I wish I didn't do that. You know, I don't see that very often. And the reason I don't see that is we do a lot of work with the artist in advance of selling right? One of the, the, the key things that we've done is we've developed a proprietary analytical tool that allows the artist to pre-experience the sale and look at the trade-offs between when are your royalties going to exceed having sold the value of having sold and invested that capital, you know, uh, uh, the different types of deals, different decay rates on the royalty streams. We really get them to experience every piece of it so that they don't say, oh, I didn't think of that, or I missed that, or 20 years down the road, I, they, they say, man, I made the bad, the bad financial decision. And so, no, I've, I've not seen it. Uh, you know, it's a conversation I do have with a lot of artists about the emotional side of selling, but most of them see it as a business. And they also understand, you know, I'm working with an artist right now who's on his third sale of his catalog. He right? can't get he enough. He's addicted. He just, he just keeps pumping out the content and says, you know what, every five or six years, I'm doing this again. I'm doing this again. And you can keep creating because you sell your catalog doesn't mean you can't keep creating. Right, it's just that you've cashed, you've cashed in on, on the success that you've already had. Is the trend going to continue, do you think, when, people, when touring starts happening again? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. And I, I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. One of the most missed perspectives is looking at how catalog sales has been fueled by low interest rates, right? M many people are, have this misnomer talking about all these different multiples and all this different stuff. And look, there, there are really low interest rates out there, which means a number of things, right? The discounted cash flow model of how much those future royalties are worth the valuations are higher now, right? That's one, same principle of the stock market. That's why the stock market is where it is and valuations are okay. Uh, you know, number two, um, on the perspective that whether the catalog industry is gonna change when interest or selling is gonna change, when interest rates go up, that's gonna make those valuations less. 
and investors, outside investors, are going to be able to find higher returns in more traditional asset classes. So yes, I think we are in a golden moment of catalog sales. But with that said, the technology has caught up, which allows full transparency into the real value of these assets. And so it will stay more mainstream now because it has found its footing. It just may not be as popular because the returns or the sale prices to the artists may not be as exciting in right. the future as they are right now. Is it just like, like I think Merc Mercuriatus says there's like two years left on that, or maybe at this point it's like a year and a half. Is that what, is, do you think that's the window? If you're going to sell a catalog, do you have to do it in the next two years? You, you know, I, I look, I don't think there's a hard window. We can look back decades, right? I mean, you look at the Beatles and, and Michael Jackson. I mean, catalog sales have been happening for a long, long time. Right, of course. It's yeah, just, yeah. Again, it's a different paradigm and the volume of it is so much bigger. You're, you're having YouTube cover artists sell their, their catalogs, their songs, their, their mechan you know, mechanicals and all that right, kind of right, stuff. Right, right, right. You know, so it, it's just, a, it's a different world. The, the other side of it is that there's a lot of money that flew into this. That money is running out. Now, new money will come in, but there was a massive wave and that has slowed, slowed down. The, the third thing to think about is the taxes. If, if Biden's tax policy changes and these capital gains uh, rates really go up, in a window. then it could totally disrupt this side of the industry because an artist, you know, is got capital gains right now. If they sell their catalog, are they want to going to pay? Are they want? Are they going to want to pay forty three some percent? on their work where they could just get those that royalty stream at the same tax rate so can, i do think we're in a window can you play this game on like like i'm so obsessed with on the other side like i want to own some catalog and i'm like could i raise the money maybe five to ten million could i get some catalog but i can you play this game if you're not going to compete with merck and some of the other massive funds that are happening can you play this game on a small level from the buyer side or do you kind of just get lost in it Look, there, there's ways to play every game, right? So that's the Adam Sansevieri <laughs> motto right there. It, that is true. There's always a way if you know how. Look, I, you know, there are many conversations happening amongst the artist community, right? The same way back with the labels when the labels owned everything, artists now have taken a big control of having their own labels. This, this, these conversations are happening in this space too. There are artists that are looking at raising capital, using their own capital, banding together because it's their content. They have the power. They know everyone in the industry and say, let's buy up each other's music. Because you know, you look at a 13 times multiple, that's like an 8% return. That's a damn good return in this environment, right? And so, so yes, there are, if you know the right people, the big challenge for folks that are not in the business is you gotta remember, you gotta collect these royalties. So you gotta hire right. someone to do that or at least understand it. And you've got to hire someone to work at the catalog, to pitch it for yeah. sync. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a whole thing. So I know shifting gears again, this is this topic is definitely blown out. Um, everybody's talking about it right now. And it's, it's oversaturated, but I would just be curious to get your take on it. With NFTs, some artists are starting their own companies like uh, Dojo Cat just announced her own shop, basically, to mint NFTs. Some people are doing it on other platforms like Nifty Gateway. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you play this game right now, do you think? Is it oversaturated? Did you miss your window? Is the window about to come? If you're an artist, <laughs> let's say you're a country Nashville, Nashville country artist. Very few are playing this game. How could you play it? Do you, yeah. do you, well, look, I'll, I'll start my answer by saying I just bought a digital art frame for my wall 
in my house to have our my NFTs as art. What are you buying? What are you into? Like, do you have well, a platform that you like? Are you buying? No, NBA no. I, you know, I, I, I definitely don't want to get into favorites here because there's so many things emerging and we know we know so many people in the space. But I, I think to your question, look, it's still incredibly nascent, right? You've got Grimes, you know, Elon Musk's partner and artist right. Grimes doing things in this space. You've got Tom Brady doing things in this space and Gronkowski. So you've got total opposite ends of the spectrum and a lot of investors and in Silicon Valley looking at this. So you've really got this interesting ecosystem across the board. The, the, the cool thing about the NFT market, unlike maybe a crypto market, is it revolves around art, right? Art or a collectible. And so that's cool because, you know, whether it's a baseball card or a football card or a great artist, a David Yarrow photograph, it's really holding up a part of our culture that I think is really neat and, and art moves our culture forward. And so I love the NFT space, if nothing for that, nothing but for that. Now, from an investment standpoint, from a valuation standpoint, it's still the wild, wild west <laughs> and and tread with caution. <laughs> I know because I have been tracking a couple, like I'll go on some of the platforms, like I'll go on Nifty Gateway, I'll track artists where I'll see what something sells for. And then I'll go back a month later or a week later. And I'll be like, what? Okay, what did that jump? Like I've tried to sort of figure this out. And then I've bought a couple things. And I'm like, I've, I can't, you can't predict anything. <laughs> yeah, there's you, you can't. But look, art is experiential. I mean, going back to being a Broadway producer, you don't know if a show is going to be good as much research as you do. Right. You don't know. It's an experiential good. Art's the exact same way. Do you think that Nashville should become more of a hotspot for developing theater? It's starting to happen a little bit. Like there's a show, May, May We All, it's mm-hmm. going to be developed at, developed at TPAC. To me, it seems like such a great place to develop. Obviously, Boston, Connecticut, where shows are maybe more typically developed, it's closer to New York. But I feel like yeah. this could be an amazing place to develop shows. Do you, do you see that? Well, look, I'm, I'm on the board of TPAC and Oz Arts and the Digital Media Advisory Council for the governor. So obviously I do. Um, and and How yes, do you do it? Look, How do we do it? Yeah, well, look, we, we've got the tools. We've got the best musicians in the world. We've got, um, we've got the spaces. We've got the tax credits. We've got the incentives. We, it just takes the, the right folks to start saying, you know what, it's not just about country music or music. It's about theater and, and, you know, and really just putting the effort into developing shows. I know TPAC is looking at this. Studio 10 is looking at this. Um, Oz Arts is already bringing amazing things down here that are brand new and cultivating new art. It's not Broadway, but it's, it's a version of creating new art. And the ballet has always been very uh, avant-garde. So yes, I, I think it's a matter of time before we finally get our due of having something that makes it to New York. Yeah. Well, can shows sort of aimed at Broadway come to Nashville or is it tough? Do you really have to sort of do Boston, DC, like kind of closer proximity? Yeah, it it just takes one, right? I mean, if you look at those big development uh, cities, Seattle, DC, Boston, you know, there's a handful of others, you know, they become known for creating out of town tryouts because they did it and were successful. So if, if, if Nashville can get that show that does make it, we'll suddenly start to be known for it. Right. Absolutely. I'm hoping for it. I want to see some more original theater here in Nashville. How do you prep for your podcast? Because I'm always curious <laughs> about this. I do a lot of prep. I've been a big fan of your podcast, which I think is how I first came across you. And you ask really, you ask really great questions. I was just listening to the one with Kean Thompson, which was awesome. Do you do a ton of research on this? How do you prep? What's your format? How do you figure out what you're going to ask people? 
Well, I appreciate I appreciate that question because you know the the biggest pressure is interviewing someone who runs a podcast, right? Not for the interviewer, but for the interviewee. Because if you suck, <laughs> you're like, how do you run your own podcast? You can't even be interviewed. Um, but but look, I'm blessed to have the most amazing team production team um, at at our firm. We run a number of podcasts that you know, look at uh, a whole different range of topics from women and wealth to investment strategies to changing the trajectory on D&I, diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, and the the big stage, which is this, my or the sports and entertainment podcast that I'm the host of, we have an amazing team and, and I couldn't do it without them. And they helped me with a lot of the research. They helped craft a lot of the questions. Um, and then also, you know, look, we, we, we're blessed to have an incredible advisor force that works with these amazing people. And so it's not just me going out and finding these guests. It's a whole team effort. And uh, we've, we've done what we've done because it's a, a group, uh, a group effort. What are the other Alliance Bernstein podcasts that we should listen to? Yeah, that's a, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head. Well, changing the trajectory, changing is, the trajectory. is probably my, uh, my favorite, um, the other names, there's Women in Wealth. I can't remember if it's called that, but I think that's what it's called. Um, and then we have a, a very, a very prominent, probably the biggest one that we do is an economics podcast. Um, and I think it's called The Pulse. The Pulse. Okay. Yeah, but don't don't quote me if I get those names wrong. Okay. We will not put you on it. Okay. A couple rapid fire questions here to wrap it up because I, I know you're a very busy guy. So a couple things. One is, what do you think every young executive needs to read or know to have a better understanding on finance? Oh, a better understanding on finance. Look, I think it's all about applicable knowledge and skills. So as I look at my color coded, color coordinated bookshelf, you know, I think it's, I love biographies like Bob Iger's uh, biography. I love uh, Phil Knight's shoe dog. Um, and then, you know, I would say, you know, in this day and age, honestly, the books, I'm part of a BLM book club right now. And it's about understanding the times and how it impacts your business. So we just read Cast, uh, C-A-S-T-E. Yeah. And it is one of the most impactful books I've ever read as a human being and also as a leader. Cast. Okay. This is a good recommendation. Okay. I've also heard you say that you were very good at taking traditional recipes and making them healthy. <laughs> any examples of this? Any any wisdom you could share on how to do this? Any personal favorites? Well, look, I'll say this. I think they're good. It doesn't mean they're actually good. <laughs> That's all that matters though. <laughs> but but you know, look, I think it's this be this has become very mainstream. I think there's so many amazing cookbooks out there and depending on what your your proclivities are towards nutrition, it's it's about finding the substitutions that still don't take away from the final meal that you're putting together. Okay, fair enough. Are you an audio learner, or it's not it's not called that visual visual learner or an audio learner? It's not called an audio learner. Do you do you spend most of your time reading, or I know you also listen to a lot of podcasts. Which one do you typically feel it's easier to learn? Um, you know, I'm 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 both. Honestly, I I typically buy books and buy the audiobook because I do a lot of uh, triathlons and running, and I'll listen to a chapter and then go home and read a chapter and then go back and forth. And you know, uh, the best is when you can do both, right? When you can listen. I and do that watch. too, but I always, yeah. if I'm listening to a book on tape, I'll buy the book, and people think I'm crazy for doing that. But yeah. I like having the book. I like being Me able to, to write things on it. Okay, here we go. I'm wrapping up here, but I want to know. Apparently, you ask everyone 
if they were a brand, what brand would they be? And I, I want to know what your brand would be. What's the answer to this? What are good answers? What are the best answers for this question? Oh, there are so many good answers for this question, you know, and it's it's the hardest part about this question is not to give a cliche answer like I'm I would be Apple, right? That's like that's a horrible that's, answer. That's the that's horrible yeah, because that's everybody's answer. You know, I I I've had guests say Patagonia, which I like because of their sustainability. I've had guests say Yeti, which I think is really, really cool. Um, look, I think uh, right now, if I had to pick a brand, I'd probably say Tesla. Not I don't only know if that's I, a good answer either. I think that's kind of lame as well, if I'm you being th honest. You think that's too easy? Too easy? <laughs> I, I think can it's give you too a, easy, Adam. Yeah. Well, I was going to give you some reasons, but I'll skip it because no, I do think- No, give me the reasons. No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to give you something different. I'll give you uh, Kraken, deep Kraken. sea exploration. Not the Kraken, the currency one, the crypto one. Kraken, the deep sea exploration company. I don't company. even know about this company. Should I know about this company? Uh, look, I think, it's, I think it's a fascinating company. And now by we're no going means, too deep. <laughs> no means I'm not giving an investment recommendation, but they're a fascinating company. A lot of the governments around the world hire them for deep sea exploration technology. And so what I love about them is they're exploring parts of our world that are just right under our noses that we don't not, know nothing about. Kraken. Okay. This is a fact. I think I, I too came to my mind. I think I would be South Southwest because I, I like flexibility. Uh, <laughs> and then I might be Zappos. I like, I like oh, the- that's a good one. Zappos, a lot of, you know, fun, but gets the job done. That's good. That, That's good. That might, would I be hired? Would I be hired on those answers? <laughs> it's okay. a good answer. It's a good answer. I, look, I try. I try. Do you think more companies are going to come to Nashville now that it's already happening? So many are already yeah. coming here, but are we going to see more of it or, or, you know, has it already kind of happened? No, I, I think we're going to see more of it. I mean, it seems like every day there's talks of new things. I mean, with, you know, Apple having some presence here, Amazon, obviously Alliance Bernstein, Oracle's big announcement with 8,500 jobs and a billion plus dollar development on the other side of the Cumberland. Um, you know, what, what it's really going to depend on is the, the, the future growth, the, the future continuation of this momentum is infrastructure. The city's got to get their, their focus going on infrastructure, renewable energy, um, and things like mass transportation. Otherwise, the current infrastructure can't hold too much more of it and people are going to be complaining about the traffic. Right, right, right. Okay, so we'll see. Adam, have we left anything out here? What's been unsaid? Have we <laughs> have we have we missed a plug for anything? What what's been left out? Uh, gosh, look, no, I think you did a great job, Zach, covering it all. I mean, at the at the end of the day, look, I'm excited to talk to folks like you who are in Nashville um, because we're here making uh, as much of an impact in this community as we can. We're so excited by the way this community has embraced Alliance Bernstein. And we're so excited about the work that we're doing with the nonprofits, with the investors and with the institutions in this town. It's, it's a thrill that we're in the middle of this current uh, movement. And when we finish our global headquarters opening up in July and being fully finished by the end of August, we can't wait to welcome all of the community into our new home. Did you know the fifth and Broadway facility was going to be built when that when the headquarters were picked there? Was that already mapped out? I guess it, it must have been, right? Yeah, that was mapped out. Yeah, that was a big part it, of the planning. It looks, it's, it's incredible over there. It's so fun over there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's changed downtown Broadway for sure. It really has. How did the Flight View um, partnership come together? Because there's an Alliance Bernstein Flight View yeah. partnership. Um, how did how, that come together? 
Yeah, I, look, Laura Hutfliss is such a, an amazing woman, entrepreneur, pioneer, philanthropist, and has created an amazing business with her partner, Jeremy. And uh, we became friends through some connection that I can't really remember what it was. Um, and just through conversations, we both have the same ethos uh, around using business to do good in the community. And she's been a leader in that space. And she really, you know, digged the, the, the way that we help companies put purpose and value into their portfolios, whether that's through 401ks or their donor advised funds, et cetera. And so they, they took the leap on doing it. It's made an awesome impact and it's just growing day by day. Really cool. Really cool to see what they're, what they're doing with it. Okay, Adam, we're wrapping up here. I want to know, how do we get Virgil Abloh on the podcast? I know that's a guess <laughs> that you wanted to get. I was reading, there was a, a couple of these, and that is actually, I think, my bucket list guest as well. So I was bonding you with you on this. How do we get him on our podcast? Maybe we could even do it together here. How you know, do we I get like, him on? I, I like that idea. Look, he's... Uh... First, I'll say I'm talking to his business manager tomorrow, so I will bring this up. Oh my God, maybe it can happen. <laughs> I will bring it up. And he's a friend. He's he's a younger guy, very successful. Um, and maybe he'll say yes. But look, I mean, Virgil's obviously incredibly busy guy and you just got to engage him in the things he's interested on. You know, I, I, think, I think hopefully he's leveraging his brand and what he's done in fashion to make further impact. And maybe that's the way is to, you know, we want to talk to him about the impact he's looking to make with his success. Do you have a cold email technique when you're reaching up to crazy big people? Do you have a technique <laughs> no, for- No, no. Uh -uh. I never, I, I rarely reach out cold. I, I, it's almost always through a warm introduction. That's the, that's the tip right there. Warm, warm intros, figure out how to get them. Adam, thank you for taking the time. This was so much fun. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure, Zach. This was enjoyable. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Stay well. Talk to you soon. What did I tell you? You're going to pick up that book, pick up that book, and read a thing or two. Because, you know, I, I don't know. Pick it up, don't pick it up. I don't care. Live your life. But look, great conversation with Adam Sansbury. So glad we were able to have him on really cool things that he's doing in Nashville and, you know, unbelievable stuff that Lions Bernstein is doing here in Music City. I am very excited about it. Very excited that we were able to have Adam on the show. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Thanks for listening. Okay, here we go. The Zach Kuhn Show was, is, is mixed by Sam Heyman and our music is by Justin Johnson. If you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at nashvillebriefing.com or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. That's it. I, I got nothing else to say. Do you want anything else? I got nothing else to say. That's it. Okay, here we go. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.